Here at Doxedo Bloom, we're excited about making disciples who impact the city and nations. We hope you enjoy today's message. And so in a few weeks' time, we are about to celebrate Christmas. All right. Now, how many of you, your family is one of those families who you go all out with a tree and presents and everything? Anyone like that? Okay, a few of us. How many of you is just like it's just another month, just another day? Anybody? Now, personally, my family um, is a family who loves celebrating Christmas. And we go all out. We have a tree. We have presents. And you would oftentimes, about two days before Christmas, you would find my dad on the couch sitting and just staring at the Christmas tree. All right? And sort of having a, a look of disgust in his face. And then he would decide we have way too little gifts. He would hop into his car and go and find the randomest stuff on sale wrap it, and then come back home and put it under the tree. And then he would go back to the couch, and he would look extremely happy with himself, right? He would, he would enjoy the fact that we have something to look forward to. And he, so he enjoys us being together as a family around the Christmas tree, giving one another's gifts. But usually this time of year, what you also find is you find people speaking about the birth of Jesus quite often. And so if you're on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, you would also find the amount of posts about Jesus' birth drastically increases during this time. But for some other reason, for the rest of the year, we do not spend very much time speaking about the birth of Jesus. It feels like the rest of the year we spend on stories uh, that we haven't read or heard before in the Bible, and we sort of move on to greater or more significant or more interesting stories and things in the Bible and in our lives and in our relationship with God. And so with this series, what we aim to do is to show how when Jesus was born, when He became a man, it wasn't a mere visit from God to us as mankind, it was an outreach, it was a pioneering moment where Jesus established His residence with us and in us. And so He never left, although we might tell the story of Jesus ascending into heaven, the reality is His presence is with us in a great measure still today. And what we aim to do in this series is we want to look at a few scenarios that all of the people probably in this room have faced before in their lives. And we want to show you how for us as Christians following God, we might face dire circumstances. We might go through valleys. We might go through dark times in our lives. But I want to convince you that it's not as much about our circumstances as it is about who is with us in our circumstances. Whose presence we have access to in our dire moments. Now, probably about two or three months ago, um, we had community group as we usually do on a Wednesday evening. And usually in our community group time, we make time for people to share testimonies. And so we just open up the floor and ask, are there any, are there any testimonies, anything that God has done in your life over the, over the past few weeks? And I remember this specific instance, we had a community group social and we were brying and towards the end of the evening, one of the girls who is a student here in Bloemfontein, she puts up her hand and she says, listen, can I share a testimony? I want to tell you, I want to tell the group some, about something that God has done in my life. And so she starts with this sentence that a few days ago, 
My dad accidentally shot himself in the head with a spear gun. But he's still alive. Okay, and we're like, we're completely freaked out. Like the rest, the group is sitting there. We sort of have chills all over our bodies. And we can't wait for the story to be told. And she goes on to tell about how her dad went out spearfishing the one morning alone. And as a wave hit over him, it bumped his spear gun against a rock that discharged the spear right into his face. It came in here and it came out here. I have a picture of the x-ray of him. So he was literally walking out of the ocean with a 1.5 meter spear sticking out his head. Now quickly put yourself in this scenario. On the beach, romantic walk with your wife. Here comes a guy, a freak, with a 1.5 meter long spear sticking out his head. What do you do? Do you run? Do you help? Do you pray? Do you call the ambulance? What do you do in that moment? And it goes on as as she's telling us the story. She's speaking about how the doctors afterwards said the spear could not have hit in a more perfect place to cause no permanent damage. About a few days later, he was discharged from the hospital without any permanent damage. And I went online in this week, and I saw their family sharing the testimony of what happened to him. And what struck me about all of them speaking about this ordeal was that I never once heard, where was God when this happened? I never once heard, I don't understand why God allows things like this to happen. What I did hear in the testimony was there was a sense that God was with us. And not only a sense that God was with us, but there was a sense that God was making all things, even this ordeal, work together for our good. See, there's a promise for you and I in Scripture where God says, I will make all things work together for the good of those who love me. And so tonight I want to speak to you about God being with us in the valley. God being with us in the valley. Now, how many of you are born and bred Bloemfonteiners? And let me explain to you what a valley is, right? When you go to the Cape, you will find things that they call mountains, right? These are big heaps of rock and dirt and plants and everything. And so a valley is what you call the space in between two mountains. It's sort of the crevice, the very bottom part of the space between two mountains is what is called a valley. And in Scripture, oftentimes valleys refer to times of darkness in our lives. It refers to times when our circumstances just don't seem to line up and we're overwhelmed by fear and worry and stress. But this evening I want to tell you that God is with you in the valley. How many of you feel like this was a rough year? 2019 is a year you would not want to repeat ever. Here's what I want to give you and equip you with tonight. I want to try and convince you and I want to try and show you how your valleys are pathways of peace and not enemies of peace. I want to say that again. I want to show you tonight how valleys, whether that be valleys in your past, present, or future, are pathways to peace and not enemies 
of peace. Because what oftentimes happens is the moment when we find ourselves in dark valleys, the first thing that goes out the door is our sense of peace. And worry and fear steps into that. Quickly turn to your neighbor, tell them your valley is a pathway of peace. Now, about 10, 11 years ago in 2008, um, I was part of a group of friends at school who really was not serving the Lord. In fact, we were opposing the Lord and anyone that stood for Christianity. And I remember being a part of this group of friends. I was invited to attend the Mighty Men's Conference in 2008. I went there with some family members. And on the Saturday evening, my life changed completely and unexpectedly. I remember I just couldn't stop crying. Like there was something, it was the same story that I've heard before, the same scriptures that I read before, but something in that moment was different as I could feel inside of me. It was almost like God was breaking a heart of stone and I just simply couldn't stop crying. And I remember we were driving home on the Sunday afternoon. We arrived at home. I went into our house, went into the bathroom, locked the door, knelt in front of the toilet, and I gave my life to God in front of the throne. Just a a different kind of throne. But my life was changed from that moment onwards. And I remember going back to school on Monday morning. I had no clue how to tell my friends, you know those Christians that we don't like? I'm now one of them. And I remember I went home the afternoon. I was lying in bed the Monday evening. And I prayed a simple prayer. I asked God, Lord, please give me just one friend that has faith in you so that I can have someone to share this story with. And I remember on the Wednesday afternoon, I was sitting at home and one of my friends rang the bell. He came in and he said, for the past few months, he's been going through a really, really rough time. And he doesn't know why, but he just decided to give his life over to God and become a follower of Jesus. And I remember sitting there and I was convinced they were pranking me. I was convinced someone found out and they were busy pulling a prank on me. As if that wasn't enough, for the next four days, towards the end of that week, seven of my friends gave their lives to God without me saying anything about what happened to me. And in that moment, I realized the faithfulness of God. But for the next few months, I remember as friends, we sat over weekends figuring out what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus. I remember weekends when we were sitting at my friend's house with a cigarette in the one hand reading the Word of God, trying to figure out what does a Christian really look like. And it was some of the most amazing times of my life. And we actually found God, which is weird. We found God in those moments. But it was probably about six or seven months after this happened that one by one, one after the other, my friends started turning away from God. Started denouncing Jesus, going back to old ways, old habits. And I remember it was, it was really a, a difficult time in my life. And today as I'm standing here, I'm the only one from that time who's still serving the Lord today. But when I look back and I listen to what my friends were saying back then, here's what I've realized. We all became Christians with the expectation that Christians are made for good times and good times only. 
We believe that once we became Christians, everything will be okay. Everything will be fine. In the moment, valleys and challenges hit. We just couldn't re reconcile the faith that we, that we believed in with the valleys we were going through. See, it's very easy to see God when we're experiencing great victories. It's easy to see God when we're doing well financially. It's easy to see God and to know that He's with us when our children are potty trained. Or when your wife brings you breakfast in bed, it's easy to see, say that God is with us in those moments. See, but it's much more difficult to make that statement when we're going through the valley. I've spoken to countless people over the past few years, some of whom had children going through chemotherapy, some of whom have lost their jobs, some of whom have lost a loved one. And the number one question that I hear from all of these people is this, where was God when that happened? Where was God when I was diagnosed with cancer? Where was God when I lost my job or I lost a loved one? Where was God? And we oftentimes hear people asking the question, if God exists, why is there so much evil in this world? And so even unbelievers base their theory and their belief on this premise that if God exists, everything should be fine. And if you're saying He exists, why are there so many bad things happening, sometimes even to good people? See, valleys are places of brokenness. Valleys are oftentimes places of battle or places of loneliness or places of desperation. See, I always say that for me personally, becoming a Christian has meant some of the best times in my life, but it has also meant some of the worst times that I've ever experienced in my life. And I remember starting out as a young, young Christian, having that expectation that all bad times have been removed from my future. 1 Kings 20 verse 23 is an incredible scripture. It's the moment right before the Syrian army is about to attack God's people, the people of Israel. And listen to what the Syrian advisors says to their king. It says this, the Syrian military advisors went to their king and said, Israel's gods are the gods of the hills. And last time we fought them in the hills, and that's why they defeated us. But if we fight them in the valleys, listen to this, where they are weak, we will defeat them there. And isn't this such a great summary of your and my experience where we feel like we are on top of the world when we're on the mountaintops, when things are lining up, when circumstances show us and prove that God is with us, then we're strong. See, they say that the last time they fought God's people, they fought them on the hilltops, on the mountaintops. And for some of you sitting here tonight, you have won many battles on the mountaintops, but you have lost almost every battle in the valley. Because the plan of the enemy is this. What if we fight him or her 
in the valley where they are weak, then surely we will win the battle. I'm hoping tonight that when you walk away from here, you will be convinced that you are actually intended by God to be stronger in the valley than what you are on the mountaintop. And in a moment, I'm going to show you why I believe that. See, here's what I've learned about good times and bad times is that God is in both. God is with you on the mountaintop, but God is with you in the valley. I remember a few years ago when we were still in the Cape, we were part of a church in Paul, and there were two couples that had fairly young children, probably about six, seven, eight years of age. And I remember in 2016, just before Anel and I, I think it was 2015, before Anel and I left um, and came to Bloemfontein, we got the news as a church that one child of each of these parents was diagnosed with cancer. The little girl of the one couple and the little boy from another couple was diagnosed with cancer. And I remember the extreme friction and the extreme conflict that I experienced in my heart. Thinking, Lord, both these couples love you and serve you with all of their lives. Why? Where was God when these two young children was diagnosed with cancer? And so for the next few months, we as a congregation stood around them. We prayed for them. We trusted God for healing. And after Anel and I moved to Bloemfontein, after a few months, we got the news that the one couple's little boy passed away from cancer. And the other couple's little girl was healed from cancer. And I remember I, I just couldn't reconcile this. I just couldn't figure out, Lord, were you with the one and not with the other? Or why did this happen? But the months following after that announcement, looking back at their lives today, I can truly testify that God was glorified in both these situations. God was glorified in the little girl being healed from cancer. But I want to tell you, God was glorified in the little boy that passed away from cancer because of the people around them that was greatly impacted for the kingdom of God. Psalm 84 verse 5 says the following, Blessed are those whose strength is in the Lord. Blessed are those whose strength is put in God. It doesn't say, blessed are those who can manage through tough times without the strength of God. See, because the problem is we find ourselves in a society that celebrates independence. But I want to make it clear tonight that in the kingdom of God, independence is not celebrated. Dependence on the strength, power, and ability on, of God is celebrated in the kingdom of God. And dependence within the community of believers is celebrated in the kingdom of God. And we learn that in the valley. We learn dependence in the valley. See, any lifeguard will tell you that it's not possible for them to save a person from drowning for as long as they are fighting to get out of the situation. But the easiest way to save a drowning person is the moment that they give up and they're exhausted. 
And I'm wondering, is, isn't it maybe true for us as Christians as well? Especially for us as followers in our valleys, that it's the moment you actually give up. It's the moment you surrender and hand over and put your strength in God when God says, this is the perfect moment for me to step in. Is when you give up, when you are exhausted. Now, I want to say this tonight, not in any way to offend anyone, but as an unbeliever, someone who does not follow Jesus, all you have to get you through troubled times, all you have to get you through valleys is your own capacity to deal with that valley. But this scripture implies, blessed are those whose strength is in God. In other words, as a Christian, my ultimate superior strength is activated at the end of my capacity, not within my capacity. So as Christians, we have a greater strength to rely on than the unbeliever who is not following Jesus. But then for the Christian, we also need to come to the end of our capacity and surrender to God. 2 Corinthians 12 verse 9 says, In my weakness, whose strength? His strength is made perfect. See, when I come to the end of myself, the power of the Holy Spirit in my life is activated. Because in my weakness, in my valley, at the end of my own ability and capacity, His strength is made perfect. See, valleys are places where the source of my strength is exposed. A valley will tell you what you rely on to carry you through it. And God is saying, blessed is the person whose source of strength is God Himself. Not an independent strength. And then it goes on in the second half of verse 5. And it says, blessed are those whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. See, Psalm 23 starts out and it says, even though I go through the valley of the shadow of death. It doesn't say, God help me never to go through a valley. It says, even though I go through the valley. And that's the unfortunate promise that you and I as believers have, that it's an even though, not an if I go through the valley. See, as Christians, we're not only called to a destination, but we're called for a journey. And I want to encourage you tonight, if you're in the middle of a valley, I want to tell you, embrace the process more than what you hope for the end of it. Because there's valuable things that God wants to deposit in your life in the valley that He is not able to deposit in your life when you're on the mountaintop. And so embrace the process in the valley. And then in the beginning of Psalm 23, David speaks of God in the third person. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He comforts me. But notice the moment David gets to speaking about the valley of the shadow of death, he does not speak about God. He speaks to God. He says, you are with me. See, there's an intimacy with God that you and I experience in the valley that is very hard to find on the mountaintop. 
And I want to encourage you in the valley, make sure you don't speak about God. Make sure you speak to your loving Father in heaven. Because we enjoy God on the mountaintop, but we get to know God deeply in the valleys. We experience a great intimacy with Him in the valleys. There's a story of a pastor who took an outreach team to a country that was very hostile to Christianity. And after a few days of ministry in this country, this whole team with the pastor got arrested and put in prison. And as they were sitting in prison, thinking about all the options, what might happen to them, thinking about their families, this pastor tells the story of how his team comes to him somewhere in the time that they're in prison. And they say this to him, if they're going to come back to kill us, we go first. And the pastor goes, no, no, no. If they're going to come to kill us, I go first. And then the, the team again goes, we outvoted you. We all agree that we get killed first. And the pastor goes, I'm your leader. I'm getting killed first. And they're going back and forth between this. Eventually, by the grace of God, they were freed from prison, went back home. And the pastor tells a story of how for the months after this ordeal, how each individual that was on his team, came to him separately without the others knowing, with the exact same longing in their hearts. All of them came to his office and asked him this one question. Don't you miss being in prison? Don't you miss the time when we had no idea what our future might hold for us? Don't you miss the dark time in that valley? And the one thing that came out of all of their stories was this. I was closer to God in that prison than I'm with God right now. I have everything I need. I have food. I have a comfy bed. I'm with my family, but somehow I'm not as close to God as I was when we were in prison. I want to tell you there's a depth of intimacy that you find in the valley that you will long for when you're on the mountaintop. There are things that God wants to say to you, things that He wants to teach you in the valley. In verse 6 of Psalm 84, it says this, As they passed through the valley of Barca. This va valley was a route that was nearly impossible to pass through without facing trouble or hardship. It literally meant the valley of tears, the valley of weeping, and the valley of loss. And I'm sure many of you sitting here tonight, you look back on 2019 or the previous years, and you know exactly what it feels like to be in the valley of tears, the valley of weeping, and the valley of loss. But here's the incredible truth about any valley, is all valleys are temporary. All valleys are temporary, but the enemy would have you believe that this is it. That this is your final destination. You see, for you and I as believers, as followers of Jesus, we are not called to set up camp in valleys. The scripture says, as they pass through the valley. All valleys are temporary. And many of us sitting here, as we're speaking about valleys, you have very specific Years ingrained in your memory where you think to yourself, I never want to experience what I experienced in that year. I remember for me it was 2015 when my mom tried to take her own life. I remember it felt like I was overwhelmed. 
with darkness. The enemy convinced me in that season that this was it. This valley was where you are going to spend the rest of your life. Because I was so overwhelmed by the darkness. And I've recognized that for me personally, my valleys are oftentimes connected to these three things. To family, to finances, and to my future. All of the valleys that I've ever gone through, my most difficult valleys have been connected in some other way to my family, my finances, or my future. So I know I need to be careful to look out for where the enemy wants to lead me into a valley relating back to any of these. See, the reality for you and I is we will not always understand valleys. We might have many questions as we're going through these valleys, but lucky for you and I, understanding a valley is not a prerequisite for passing through that valley. You don't have to have answers to all your questions in order for you to have closure about dark times in your life. You don't need to have all of your questions answered to pass through that valley. But oftentimes, when I go through valley, I ask myself the question, what sin have I allowed in my life that caused me to go through this valley? And many of us, that might be the first question you ask yourself, and you might sort of relate any valley that you're going through with a mistake that you have made. And don't get me wrong, I believe that many times, because of our own decisions and our mistakes, we find ourselves in valleys. But I want to tell you tonight that even if your own decisions and mistake, mistakes put you in a valley, God is saying, I make all things work together for the good of those who love me. Even the valleys that we put ourselves into because of our own decisions. Deuteronomy 11 verse 11 says this, the promised land, God is speaking to his people. He's saying the promised land you are about to enter is a land of hills and valleys. So God is saying the promise that I'm giving you is a place of hills where we enjoy God, but it's also a place of valleys where we get to know God. So even in the very dead center of the will of God, you will find valleys. Because valleys are not always a result of our own sinfulness. In Psalm 23, David speaks about a very familiar valley. And he calls it the valley of the shadow of death. And I'm sure many of us have experienced this valley to some degree. To some degree. But the thing that I've learned about the valley of the shadow of death is that it is called the valley of the shadow of death, not the valley of death. It's the valley of the shadow of death. How many of you know that shadows are often larger than the actual thing they represent? How many of you have driven past a truck on the N1 and have it cast its shadow over your car. The shadow is way bigger than the actual thing. The reality is that shadows can frighten us, but they can't hurt us. Shadows are images with no substance. But the reality for you and I is there cannot be a shadow without any light. Unless there is light, there cannot be a shadow. And so I want to encourage you with this tonight. 
that if you're, you find yourself in the valley of the shadow of death, know that it is the valley of the shadow of death, not the valley of death. And the reality, the fact that you are seeing a shadow is merely just proof that there is light in your life, that God is with you in that valley and He's shining His light over you. And then the Scripture says, they make their valleys places of spring. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. So not only do we as believers not make our homes in valleys, but we pass through these valleys. God is saying the time that you spend in the valley is time spent setting up springs. It's time spent lighting up the darkness in that valley. It's when we as light bearers, as bearers of the presence of God, walk into valleys that we create spaces of life, provision, and nourishment for other people in that valley. There's a scripture where God says, where Jesus says, He prepares a table for me in whose presence? In the presence of your enemies. So here's what God does in times when we go through valleys. In the valley, in the darkness, in the worry, in the fear, God carries out a table. He puts it down. He puts a tablecloth over the table. He even puts some flowers on the table with candles. He puts food on the table. He sits down and he invites us to assume a place of rest surrender and absolute peace in our valleys because he prepares for you and I a table in the presence of our enemies. I remember one of the couples that I spoke about earlier whose little girl survived cancer. I think they spent probably about three to four years being regularly at hospital for chemo and stuff like that. And I remember it was probably after a year of going through chemo, how the stories started coming through of people that they were sitting next to in hospital coming to faith in Jesus. Other parents who were facing the exact same thing found comfort in these two people who were going through the exact same thing. There are people who are followers of Jesus today because of the valley that that family walked through. Because God leads us into valleys to make it places of spring places of nourishment, not only for ourselves, but for people that walk with us through those valleys. Hosea 2 verse 15 says this. It's a beautiful scripture. It says, I will turn the valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. I want to tell you this is the promise that you have to claim tonight, that God will turn the valley that you find yourself in tonight God will turn it into a gateway of hope. I want to end with a story. Probably about seven, eight years ago, we were hosting a youth camp in Bloemfontein, the Pulse Camp. And during worship, a girl of probably 14, 15 years of age responded to a call for people who felt like they needed prayer. And I remember I was ministering to this girl with 
two or three other people. And this girl was just telling us and opening up about how she was being sexually abused growing up as a little girl. And how even though the physical abuse stopped, that she just couldn't move on from the trauma that she experienced from that. She just couldn't get rid of the weight. She, it just felt to her like she couldn't pass through the valley. Felt like something or someone was forcing her to set up camp in the valley and that that was going to be her final destination. And I remember at some point as she was telling us the story, we turned to this girl and we asked her, won't you close your eyes? Think about what happened to you. And ask Jesus to show you where he was when that happened. I promise you it wasn't even 30 seconds. And something happened to this girl where God completely freed her from all of the trauma that she's experienced previously in her life. And I was standing next to her and I couldn't believe the power that it had knowing that God is with me in my valley. The moment she noticed Jesus in her valley, freedom came. Life came. Peace was restored to her life. And maybe for some of us tonight, you need to ask that same question. You need to close your eyes. Maybe your valley is very fresh. You're in the middle of your valley. Or maybe there's a valley that you have gone through and it just feels to you like that valley has been with you even to this day. Maybe you need to take a moment tonight to ask, Jesus, show me where you were when I went through that valley. Maybe tonight you need to see the emotion on Jesus' face. Maybe you need to see that He was crying with you. Maybe you need to see that He was rejoicing over you. Maybe you need to see a look of Him being in control despite what you are going through. But lucky for us, the Holy Spirit knows exactly what you need to see tonight. And not only that, He's willing and able to give it to you. He's willing and able to lead you to a space where you can pass through the valley and put it behind you. See, for us, looking back at valleys, they become altars of breakthrough. Every single valley that I've gone through, I know exactly what God was doing in my life in retrospect. I might not have known it in the moment, but I know now. And I've built an altar and I've thanked God for that valley. So I want to ask everyone to close their eyes for a moment. And I want to invite you, if you feel like you're in a valley or there's some kind of valley that you just can't shake off, I want to invite you to stand. I feel there might be someone here tonight. Your valley was, was a relational valley where, where someone completely broke your heart, completely broke your trust in a relationship. And it could be a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a friend or a family member. And God is saying, he's drawing a line in the sand. He wants to heal your heart. 
And He wants to make you the well of living water. You might have experienced in the past where something about this trauma or this brokenness limited what you have to give. And God is saying tonight, I want to turn open the faucet 100%. So just for those who are standing, just as the music is playing, I want you to ask God, Lord, show me where you were when I was in that valley. Show me what you feel. Show me what you think. Show me what you say about that valley. And allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you. Allow the Holy Spirit to free you, to restore you, to heal you. And I believe there's something about God that He's about to reveal to you in that valley that you've not known before. So Father, I want to pray tonight for every person standing, for everyone with brokenness from a valley, every person that might find themselves in the midst of a valley. I want to pray, open up their eyes in the name of Jesus. Open up their ears in the name of Jesus. Cause them to see what you say, what you feel, what you think, and what you did, Lord, where you were when they were going through that. Because you are Emmanuel, God, with us. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Make sure that you get connected to this family on mission by joining us at one of our Sunday services.